life, there's going to be times uh, where you're going to be face-to-face with evil. You're going to be face-to-face with people that are not so good. Things in your life where you're going to run into occasion, uh, not all the time, as we'll see here in the passage here in just a little bit, but on occasion, you're going to run into uh, evil people. Uh, People that are belligerent. People that are off-putting, people that uh, despise your faith, your religion, as they'll call it. And um, it's going to be a face-off. A face-off. And and hockey, I'm not a big hockey fan. I've been to a couple hockey games. They're fun. Alex is a big hockey guy. Like his dad is and everything. Gets to enjoy hockey season. Uh, But I I know that in hockey, that one of the most well-known and anticipated things that happens kind of throughout the uh, particular game that evening, those evenings is a face-off. There's a face-off. Uh, that's whenever you've got two players uh, head-to-head and uh, they drop the puck and the defensive player has to make sure that he clears the puck so that the offensive player doesn't make an easy score. Uh, it's a face-off uh, with each other and it happens. And one is going to win and one is going to lose, if you will. But I'm here to tell you tonight, we are also in a face-off. But it's something much bigger than a hockey game. Amen? For we wrestle not with what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so on. We're in a high-pressure situation sometimes whenever we face evil. And when we face evil from time to time, not every moment of every day, okay, and this is not something uh, that happens all the time, uh, nor should we expect it to, Uh, we'll see that here in just a moment, but there will be times in your life and, and throughout your life where you'll have to stand up in the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the defense of your own faith perhaps, in the defense of uh, the walk that you want to have with Jesus Christ. Maybe that will be with a belligerent co-worker like it was with me in college. I'll never forget that, that I had to stand up to a belligerent co-worker. Always wanted to use God's name in vain in front of me. I mean, on purpose, because he knew I was a Christian. Just antagonized me. And I had to learn how to deal with that. Uh, how, do I, how do I handle this? Uh, maybe it's a, a boss that refuses to let you off in time for church or refuses to let you off on Sunday to attend uh, worship in the Lord's house. Uh, Maybe it's uh, a boss that puts you into compromising and ungodly situations. Uh, That's tough. What do you do there? How do you handle that? Maybe it's uh, with a family member that doesn't appreciate your biblical stands uh, that you have for a variety of issues. That found in the Word of God. Maybe it's just a stranger that doesn't appreciate your faith in Jesus Christ and somehow they see it. Maybe it's with a government that proposes an attack on your faith. Maybe it's just a face-off with a longtime friend that suddenly has turned their back on Jesus Christ. It could be with a number of things. The list is innumerable of the different face-offs that you could have. But though the list is innumerable, it's most certainly unknowable when the next face-off will happen. You, you don't have a clue when the next time that you'll face somebody that 
uh, is trying to either get you to do evil or is doing evil to you. The possibilities are endless. But it is for certain that one of these days, maybe in the near future or in the distant, that your faith will be tried, it will be challenged. And the question I have for you tonight is this, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready? Be ready to stand up for Jesus. We need to be ready to stand up for Jesus. Amen? Be ready to stand up for Jesus. I said that, I said that, I say that very purposefully tonight. I'm not, that's not just a haphazard statement. Be ready to stand up for who? For what? For Jesus, not yourself. That's what's going to be the difficult part of this whole thing. Not yourself, but be ready to stand up for Christ our Lord. Let's notice a couple of areas in which we can do that in. Number one, I want us to notice this, is that we need to be righteous. Is that in this whole equation of standing up for Christ is that it's imperative that we all remain righteous. Be righteous. Look here at verse number 13. He says, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake. I want us all to say that word together, those two words, righteousness' sake. But if you suffer for what? Righteousness' sake. Happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. First point is this, is just be righteous. You see, the thing in your Christian life is this, is that you may not always be challenged in your faith. I'm sure there's probably a great host of us that were not challenged in a face-off, in a duel this way, today. Maybe you weren't challenged. Maybe somebody didn't come and try to press you on your faith today. But that doesn't change the fact that you and I and all of us should be living righteous and godly lives on a daily basis. We should righteously be living all of our lives. When a guardsman goes and stands post at his uh, army base in Colleen, Texas. You know, he goes there and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. All right? I mean, for the last 720 days or more, there's never been an incident on base. Not one problem, not one incident, not one issue has ever come up. But does that mean that that guardsman gets to put down his guard, though there's not been an incident in a long time? No, because it's the moment that the guardsman puts his guard down that will be the moment that the intruder comes. That will be the very moment, it seems like. And if it's not the moment that the intruder comes, it will be the moment that his CO shows up, all right? And knocks and finds him sleeping on the job. And so here's the deal with us is that we ought to be living righteously because the moment that we decide we can kind of take a break will be the moment that Satan tries to slip in on us. And if Satan doesn't slip in on us, then the Lord says, you better be awake because you never know when I'm coming back to. 
Never know when he's coming back. But there are some Christians that uh, they live righteously, per se, but they also kind of walk around, and this is not what he's telling us here to do, but they kind of walk around with a chip on their shoulder. You never met Christians like this. I mean, they're ready for somebody to knock that thing off and call foul, right? I mean, they're just ready to, uh, to fight. They're ready to say something. They're ready to, I mean, just tell somebody off. I mean, defend the gospel. I mean, that's what, I mean they're just ready to uh, tear into somebody. That's not what Peter's talking about here. It's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, we must be guarded against this. We must be careful that we are not belligerent in our defense of the gospel, that we, are not, uh, that we are not somebody that is not gracious in the defense of the gospel. Remember what Jesus said very clearly whenever he says in Matthew 5, 38, You have heard that it hath been said in old time, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, what does he say? Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, he says, turn, thee to, turn him to the other also. And if a man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him take away thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Uh, we need to be careful in our attitudes and our actions whenever we consider uh, this thing of being buffeted for, our, uh, for being righteous, for suffering for being righteous, that we don't just fly off but that we receive it with meekness, with a gentle spirit. Also, he tells us this. Why should we be righteous? Well, he says in verse number 13, he explains it to us. He asks a rhetorical question. He says, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Now, he's uh, in verses 1 through 12, he's been going through some different admonitions for Christian living. Uh, good things to do as you live for Christ. Um, and so he's been going through these particular aspects of Christian living. And then he asks that rhetorical question, verse number 13. He says, who's going to harm you if you do what's right? Right, you know what I mean? The majority of the time, if you live right, do right, be good, guess what? Most people aren't going to have a problem with that, right? I mean, most people like somebody that doesn't lie, steal, or cheat, right? And kill, okay? I mean, I mean, we like people that are like that. We, we can appreciate a neighbor that uh, doesn't try to hurt us or try to steal from us. Somebody that we can trust. I mean, your neighbor might say he's a bit of a religious fanatic, but at least he doesn't steal stuff out of my garage when it's open, right? I mean, so if you do right and do good, most people are not going to bother you. That's what he says in verse number 13. He says, You're, if you be followers of that which is good, who is going to harm you? Who is going to hurt you? But I also know that it's not an everyday occurrence because in verse number 14, he says, but and if, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake. The statement is leading to us to believe that this is somewhat abnormal. It doesn't happen all the time. You're not always getting persecuted. You're not always uh, being, uh, being thrown under the bus. You're not always suffering for righteousness' sake. But and if you do, then here's the instruction. Listen, aren't you glad that the New Testament gives us instruction for daily living, even in the buts and ifs of life? Think about that. The, the Bible gives us instruction for even the buts and the ifs. I mean, not just what's going to happen, but this might happen. So this could happen. So this is what you do in those situations. So that's what he tells them. If this does happen, this is what you do. 
So if you're going to be ready against a face-off against evil, you got to be righteous. Put down the martyr's complex. Amen? <laughs> Get rid of the martyr's complex. We've got too many Christians with martyr's complex. Uh, you know, just go on YouTube and watch street preachers sometimes. Sometimes there's good street preachers and there's street preachers that seems like they just, you know, they carry a pig's head through an Islamic festival. You know, you know that's, 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 that's ridiculous. That's stupid. All right? We're getting persecuted for righteousness. You're getting persecuted because you're dumb, okay? That's why, you know. But here's the deal. Don't have a martyr's complex. Uh, secondly, understand that doing good usually produces no evil, but finally, just live right. Live right. Just do what is right. And most of the time, everything's going to turn out all right. But then he says in verse number 14, he says, but and if, but and if, you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. If you do experience suffering while doing good, Peter says these are some things to do. Now, our fallacy, I believe, is to run directly to verse number 15. Look at verse 15, if you will. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I think our fallacy is that, is that when we are persecuted in our faith or we suffer for righteousness, sake, immediately we're, we're ready to give an answer. We're ready to say something. We're, we've, we've, we've got a retort. We, we've got something to say. But that not to be our heart. That's not the way we ought to do. We shouldn't be ready for a fight, if you will. But Paul is expressing to us something quite differently in verses number 14, 15, and 16. And all of them have to, be, all of them have to do with being centered on this one idea, this one premise of being ready. Being ready. Be righteous, yes, and be ready. Be ready to suffer. He says that in verse number 14. He says, but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake. Are you ready to suffer for righteousness' sake? Are you ready for that? What if I, what if I, were, what if I were to tell you that tomorrow morning when you go into work or wherever you do, you, are you going to get a phone call tomorrow uh, that you're going to be uh, suffer for righteousness' sake? You did everything that was right that you could possibly do, but somebody's going to accuse you of doing something wrong. How would you hold up to that? Are you ready for something like that? You see, if you're not even ready for that, you might not even be able to answer in a case like that. You might be so surprised and so offended and so upset that you are suffering even though you did what was right. Well, the Bible warns us this might and could happen and most likely will happen in your Christian life. Especially if you live for Christ and live righteously and live out your faith and tell other people about Jesus Christ and are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are going to be persecuted. You are going to go after. Somebody is going to go after you. Somebody is going to say some things about you. Somebody is going to maybe uh, purport some lies that are not that, uh, about, about you. These things could and most likely will happen. Are you ready for it? Are you ready? And then he says in verse number 14, he says... For righteousness' sake, he says, if this happens to you, listen to this. Now, if, 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 I were, if I were writing the Bible, I would not have said this, okay? 
Thank God I'm not writing the Bible, amen? He says, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, what does he say? Happy are ye. Not only do you need to be ready to suffer, you need to be ready to be happy. When suffering comes, you know what your response is? Happiness. I got some queer looks at me right now, okay? <laughs> I mean, uh, all right, uh, you need to be happy. You need to be glad. You need to be joyful for what is happening to you. Don't be stuck down in the mully grubs. My spell check didn't like that word right there. I kept it in there, all right? Don't be stuck off in there. Just, you got to learn that whenever you're suffering for righteousness' sake, that gives you a chance to be happy. That gives you a chance uh, to be joyful. Be ready to be happy. Jesus said something kind of similar. He said this. He said, blessed are they which are persecuted for, listen to it again, righteousness' sake. I think there might be a correlation there, right? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For he says, uh, and, and so say, all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, or excuse me, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And then he says in verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Rejoice. For why? He tells us the answer. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So the next time you're suffering for righteousness' sake, just look at the person that's, that's they say, keep piling it on because they're piling it in heaven, okay? You know? That's fine, just keep piling it on. They're piling it in heaven. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm earning reward right here. That's fine, just keep it on. That's all. They'll look at you like that. Now they'll really think you're crazy, all right? But I'm just saying here tonight that you got to be ready to be happy. You know what the word blessed means? And I'm going to teach you something very, uh, very profound. Blessed in the New Testament means happy. That's how, yeah, I know. Blow your mind. You know, it's amazing. That's all it means. That's li- that, the, if, if you were to literally translate, literally, happy are ye. Happy. If these things are in your life. That's a whole other conversation about the Beatitudes and a study on happiness. If you want to be happy in life, read those. Be ready to suffer. Be ready to be happy. Be ready to not be afraid. You see, again, I say that our, our initial response whenever bad things happen to us and we're doing what's right. We're living for Christ. We're living righteously. Our initial response is maybe to go right to verse 15 and say, all right, I'm ready to give an answer. I'm ready to say something. But there's a buildup before that. You need to be ready to suffer. You need to be happy. Be ready to be happy. You need to be, uh, you need to be uh, ready to not be afraid or troubled. There's two thoughts here. Number one is this, is that if you suffer for righteousness sake, don't let this shake you up. Don't let it make you afraid. Don't allow such an event to be your worst nightmare, your phobia, if you will. Don't let it be your phobia. The phrase fear not is found over 60 times in our Bibles. 60 times the words fear not are found in the scriptures. That phrase, fear not. 
And so the Bible says, Jesus even uses it one time in Matthew 10 and verse number 28 when he says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body, soul and body in hell. We fear God, we don't fear man. So be ready not to be fearful, but secondly, be ready not to be troubled. The word troubled means agitated, frustrated. Don't be agitated by these attacks. Don't let them worry you and frustrate you and antagonize you during your sleep time. We can rest assured that God knows, well, that cost me a bunch of money, what they said. I mean, I lost my job because of what, I mean, my family won't talk to me anymore because of what they did to me. I mean, mean, they, they ruined my name. Be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Don't be afraid. Don't be frustrated. Don't be agitated. Leave it to God. And then notice this. He says in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready to be sanctified. Have a right heart. Be ready to have a right spirit. This uh, is coupled along at the, with also what he says at the end of the verse whenever he says that you may answer them with a reason of hope that is in you. And then notice the two things, with meekness and fear. Fear of man? Oh, no, not at all. Fear of God. Fear of God. Reverence to God. Meekness towards man. Meekness towards man. Fear towards God. We're living in this way where we're sanctified. We want to have a right spirit. Before we answer, before you answer somebody because you're suffering for righteousness sake, you want to make sure you're prepared, you're ready to be happy no matter the outcome. You're not going to be troubled or agitated, but also you want to have a right spirit. You want to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. You want to make sure that you're doing it without, you want to make sure that you can do all that you can do to satisfy the demands that are upon you without compromising your faith or your belief in God Almighty or His Word. Let me say that again. You want to be able to do all that you can do to satisfy the demands that are being placed upon you without compromising God or His Word. I have seen, and you have too perhaps, but I have seen Christians that get this self-righteous attitude and think they're right and think they're right in a matter, and they get all puffed up and get all upset about something. They're ready to answer, and they do answer. Whenever it comes out on the backside of that thing, they were actually in the wrong. You don't want to end up in a conundrum like that. You know what I'm saying? It would be better for you to keep your mouth shut, and then it come out on the backside that you were right. But if you come out on the backside that you're wrong and if you kept your mouth shut, then guess what? At least you don't look like a fool. Understand? We need to be careful with how we respond in these situations. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Go to God about the matter. Before you say anything, ask God about it. God, is this what you want me to do? Am I supposed to say something here? Now, some things are blatant and obvious. You understand what I mean? Some things are, some things are in your face right then. You don't have a chance to sit you know, for six weeks and pray about it. Okay? I understand that. Okay? Some things are, boom, right there. Okay? Like my coworker, belligerently cursing and cussing God. You know, the moment I walked in, Richard was in there. The first, first, uh, first uh, GD that came in his mouth, I said, see you guys later. 
And they walked right on, right on out of the tool crib. I mean, I, I was gone. Well, well, you need to work in here. Not today. I'll find something else to do somewhere else. I'm good. And some things, are, I, you, you've got to be wise about it. You've got to be sanctifying the Lord God in your heart and having a right relationship with the Lord. Uh, in, 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 these, in these matters. Think about these things. Think through these things that are happening to you. And finally, he says, okay, now you're ready to give an answer. Now you're able to do this in a right spirit. You're going to be, you're understanding with the situation. You're even ready to be happy and prepared and no matter the outcome. And he says to him, he says, be ready to always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is, that is in you. And I could preach really all night on this verse, on this, this one little section. There's a lot that goes into it. But I do just want to say these couple of thoughts here. Number one is this. Be ready to give an answer. Number one, study. Amen? Study. Prepare. Prepare. I'll never forget one of the first times I encountered somebody that denied the deity of Jesus Christ. They denied that Christ was, Christ was God. I remember stumbling and fumbling and bumbling over my words. I mean, I couldn't, you know what I mean? I couldn't, I didn't know what to say. You know what I did that night? But I went home and I found every single verse I could find in my, in, my, in my Bible to prove that Jesus was Lord. And ever since then, I've been finding more and more and more. I don't stop. I don't, I don't want to stop. But we should have some preparation in spiritual matters. We should be ready to answer people that have a question of the hope that lies within you. I mean, if somebody just came up to you tonight and said, why did you go to church tonight? What would you tell them? Well, why do you go to church every Sunday? Think you're some kind of, you know, religious, religious zealot? Think you're some kind of better than thou? You know, you think that's what you are? What, are you gonna, what, do you, what would you say to that? How would you respond to that? Perhaps it's just a testimony. He doesn't really give us a specific on how to answer. He just says, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is, that is in you with meekness and fear. So he doesn't give us the specifics of exactly what to do. He doesn't say chapter and verse. He doesn't say, now turn to Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 12 or anything like that. But he says, are you ready to give an answer? Are you ready to say something? Maybe it's just your testimony. Maybe, maybe at, the best, at the best you know right now, any Christian, every Christian, ought to at least, at the very minimal, be able to rehearse to somebody why the, you know, why Jesus Christ is important to them? Why they are a Christian? Well, you know, at, I got saved when I was a young child. My parents took me to church. I heard the gospel. It changed my life. I was born again. And from there, you can go on from there. Or however it was. I, I'd encourage, have you ever written your testimony down? Have you ever written it down in word format? Written it down. I'm not, not, none of this, okay, okay? Write it with your hand. You know, if you do that, 
what that will do, it will, it will not only implant it on the paper, but it will implant it more in your heart and your head. So the next time that somebody asks you over reason of the hope that lies within you, you can be able to rehearse it to them and tell them. Read, read, your, read, read the book of Acts. Three on three different occasions, or four, I can't remember, but I'm sure of three occasions where Paul, what did he do? He rehearsed his testimony. In front of the king Agrippa, a king, mind you, a king. You imagine a king of a country and you're having to speak to them? Did he pull out his Greek and his Hebrew and everything? Did he? What did he do? He told him his testimony. He told him what God had done for him. Can you do that? Maybe you throw some verses in there. Paul did every time. Maybe you put in a John 3.16, a Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. A Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love. Maybe you put in a Revelation chapter 21 in verse number 8, talking about those that fearful and the unbelieving will make up the lake of fire. Maybe a 1 John 5.20 about believing in Jesus, or a Psalm 34.6, and this poor man cried and the Lord heard me. Maybe that's the only verse you know. You know what? But that's a great salvation verse. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and delivered him out, from all, out of all of his troubles. Psalm 34.6. Everybody can memorize that verse. I was as a poor man. God saved me. I cried unto him. He delivered me. That's salvation. Amen? I was sinful. You might want to go further. You might want to study some subjects like I have done, like others have done, so that you can answer some questions. Maybe you've got a Catholic friend. Maybe you've got an unsaved neighbor. And you know the religious background. You know what you need to do? Hey, get in the book. Find some things out about that religion. Find some things out about what there's, what's going on there. Be able to answer some questions because when they find out that you're a Christian, guess what? They're going to ask you questions. Maybe it's the Lord's deity. I don't know. It could be a thousand things. Can a good, can a, can a good person go to heaven? Can you do good works to go to heaven? Peter's main point is this, is that when you are persecuted for good and for doing right, have a good reason to tell them why you are not backing down. Why are you facing off? Tell them. Tell them. Why, why are you not backing down from this situation? Well, it's because the Bible says. It's because Jesus says. It's because God says. This is why. Don't give them some... Uh, you know, off-the-wall answer. No, find it in your Word. Find it in the Word of God. Be ready. And then finally, let me say this tonight. When we face off with evil, because it will happen, it's not going to happen every single day, but you need, you need to be ready. You need to be righteous. But if you're ready and righteous, you can be restful. I love the next words in verse number 16. Having a good conscience. Having a good conscience. You know, when your conscience is good, you rest better. When you got a clean conscience... My, my, my Bible college, uh, our Bible college um, founder... Um, and President, Dr. Arlen Horton, used to say, a clean conscience makes for a soft pillow. 
A clean conscience makes for a soft pillow. You rest better because you're right with God. The world might hate you, but you're okay. You're good because you're right with God. You have done that which was right. He says in verse number 16, he says it's those that don't do right by you when they find out that they have falsely accused you, they will be ashamed. They will be the ones that will not be resting well. They will be the ones that will not be sleeping well. They will be the ones that will have trouble of soul and mind and of spirit because they know that they have done wrong. John Bradford was a godly saint. He suffered at the hands of Queen Mary, Bloody Mary. And John Bradford, on his execution morning, whenever he went to the stake to be burned, he said, Oh, England, England, repent. And then turning to the young man who was to suffer with him, he said, and this to me is just the epitome of what I'm saying here about being restful. This is the epitome of it. Listen to what he says to the 19-year-old that was also burning at the stake with him also that day. He looks to the young man and he says, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a happy supper with the Lord tonight. I mean, talk about restful. Here's a guy that, and the Bible, or not the Bible, and as the story goes, he says, he says, and then embracing the wood of his execution, he repeated the Savior's words, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. I mean, here's a guy that was so restful in his conscience and his, what he was doing and what was right. He grabs the wooden stake, grabs a hold of it, looks over at the young man that's about to suffer with him and says, it's okay, buddy. He says, we're fixing to have supper with the Lord tonight. Don't worry about it. My conscience is clear. My mind is, and my mind is freed up. I've been righteous. I've been ready for this. Now I'm restful. Rest rest your weary soul. For I repeat unto you the admonition given to us in Hebrews. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Folks, if we are troubled or agonized or agitated by any wrongdoing that may come to our way, even though we are doing right, let us remember the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let us remember the next statement. This is a statement of of rebuke and reproof. Verse number three is. He's rebuking the Hebrews. For he says, You have not resisted against blood, unto blood, striving against sin. What does that mean? You may have suffered a lot, but you haven't had to shed your blood. And that is a rebuke to me. That's a reproof to any of us that have not had to shed one drop of blood because of any persecution that's come our way. Maybe somebody's ostracized you. Maybe somebody's isolated you. Maybe somebody's lied to you or lied about you. But have you been beaten? Has the blood poured out of your skull because you preached the gospel? 
We need to think through these things. We haven't suffered as much as some others have suffered. Let us stay faithful. Let us remain faithful. Did not Christ suffer? The very, the very next verse says, or verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. I go back to what I had you repeat with me earlier. We suffer for what? Righteousness sake. We suffer for righteousness' sake. It's possessive. He was the righteous one that was suffering. We suffer for righteousness' sake. We don't suffer for our own sake. John Bradford could say what he said because he wasn't suffering for himself. Because he realized, just like all of us realize, that we're nothing but sinners, deserving completely of deserving deserving of hell itself, and the lake of fire. And so we suffer for righteousness' sake. Therefore, there should be no offense at all in us whenever wrong is done to us and whenever we have done right, for it is not our offense in the first place, but it is Christ's offense. It is His offense. And the only reason we're doing righteousness at all is because of what Christ has done in us. And so even the righteousness that we do is not even our own righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. So you have nothing to be offended over. It's not even yours. It's not yours. But rather we gladly suffer with Him. Are you ready for a face-off with evil? Are you ready? And let us be righteous, let us be ready, let us be restful. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil. Is the will of God, as he says in verse 17, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil. May God help us during these times. You might not face it tomorrow or the next day. I don't know. You might not face an encounter like this all year. I don't know. But and if you do, you know what to do. May God help us. Father, we're thankful.